Howdy, brethren. This is the Book of John, the companion to all my writings on Substack. And now, please turn in your books to chapter 16. Funny Childhood Traumas I was walking the picket line at Disney with my friend Dirk, and we got on the subject of childhood traumas, specifically the kind of casual traumas that were inflicted upon 70s and 80s kids before parents were encouraged to think of their kids as more than just crybabies that needed to get over it. Not my parents. My folks were lovely. Anyway, it turns out we both had traumatic summer camp stories. Dirk talked about how at his Boy Scout camp, they always seemed to mention how serial murderers were running around in the woods surrounding the camp and hadn't been caught yet. And even though they'd apparently massacred some campers from the previous session, they figured no sense shutting down the whole camp for that. So, you know, always be sure you have a buddy with you. Oh, and the killer probably has a machete and long fingernails, so keep that in mind. My own traumatic church camp experience was when I was around 10 or so, where on the last night, the counselor sat us boys down and weaved a totally for reals true story to us of a bunch of Cub Scouts who'd gone hiking in the nearby mountains and had been slaughtered by a pack of wild wolves. And the wolves are still out there. Now go to bed. And go to bed we did, whispering stories about wolves and massacres, and why would they tell us that story tonight? Eventually, we all drifted into unsettled dozes. Surprisingly, this was the same night that someone in a gorilla mask woke us up in the middle of the night, pounding on the windows. Now, perhaps if we had seen it was a gorilla mask, maybe we would have realized it was a joke. But all we saw peeking through the window was savage tufts of hair sticking out every which way, not unlike, say, a Michael Myers mask, or maybe Jason Voorhees in his hockey mask, which at that point in history was the only touch point most of us had to camping, even though I'd never actually seen a Friday the 13th movie. Now, this alone might not have sold us on our very lives being in danger, but then our counselors ran into the room, telling us to stay calm and stay put, and they ran into the adjacent room, where they closed the door and then proceeded to fight it out with the serial killer wolf in the gorilla mask. We could tell they were fighting, see, because you could hear them yelling and getting thrown around and the empty bed frames being knocked about. When they reappeared moments later, their noses were bloodied and they looked scared. I don't remember what they told us to do, probably just sit tight and they'd go get help, because they disappeared running out of the cabin. I don't know what they thought was going to happen. Certainly they had convinced themselves that a bunch of little boys being terrorized by a stupid prank wouldn't end up doing something stupid. Being that the counselors were teenagers themselves, they can probably be forgiven this staggering underestimation. Anyway, the gorilla pounding and the counselors' battle with evil had its intended effect, and most of the boys shrieked and immediately bugged out the door of the cabin. I don't know where they thought they were going because there were killer wolves or Michael Myers outside waiting to murder us, so me and a couple of other guys stayed behind, trying to lock and barricade the doors. We stayed there a while, hiding under the windows, hoping we were out of sight. Eventually, after minutes of long silence, the other two boys' curiosity got the better of them, and they exited the cabin to find out. Fuck that, I thought. The killer wolf in the gorilla mask ain't gonna get me. So I remained in the cabin, alone, hiding under that window for what felt like hours, heart pounding, genuinely convinced I might die that very night. A few minutes later, the boys were quietly led back in by one of the grown-ups, the counselors notably missing. It was a weird anticlimax. One minute I thought I was going to die, the next, hey, look, here's everyone and it's all over. We learned, of course, that the whole thing had been a prank by the counselors, but again, they hadn't really thought it through. It turns out the other boys who'd initially raced out of the cabin had stirred quite a ruckus. 
One had tripped and fallen and hurt themselves running out of the cabin, and another had tried to get the adult's attention by kicking in the screen door to their cabin, wounding his hand in the process. It was something of a minor scandal at our church that year. But the thing was, even though we all went to bed wrecked from adrenaline and fear, the next morning, by the warm light of day, we were encouraged to laugh it off. No harm done, right? I mean, except the boys that got injured, but hey, lucky me. I'd stayed behind and been spared any sort of permanent injury. You think? I mean, maybe if that had happened on its own, I would have been better able to put it in its box and laugh it off. But here's the thing. Something else had happened to me that year. A few chapters back, I sort of casually let drop that when we were living on Cactus Road, a car had run into our house. Here's that story from my POV. I'm in my room at night, starting to doze off. I'm looking at the wall of my bedroom, which is complete and solid and whole. Then, a moment later, there's the front corner of a car in my room, steam pouring out of it. I leapt out of bed, not sure if I was dreaming, and ran out of the room. All I can hear and see is chaos. My parents were running toward our rooms, and they yelled at me to go in the backyard, which I did. A few minutes later, my parents rejoined me with my brother, who was looking like he just woke up. My family was fine, even our pets. I learned my parents' story later. They tried to open my brother's bedroom door and couldn't because pieces of the opposite wall, along with a pachinko machine my brother had against that wall, had flown across the room and was blocking the door. Terrified, my parents kicked it down, and when they got inside, a parent's worst nightmare awaited. The front of a car inside my brother's room. My brother, still in his bed, not moving, his head a foot or so from the bumper's edge. My mother later told me her immediate first thought. He's dead. Oh God, he's dead. They ran to him and tried to see if he was still breathing, at which point he finally woke up. A fucking car had plowed into his room, the bumper mere inches from his head, and my brother slept through it. If you know my brother, this will probably not surprise you. What had happened was a teenager was driving drunk and she rammed into another woman's car, which then rammed into our house. The poor woman in the car broke her neck and had to spend the next year or more in a halo brace, which is basically a vest with a wire connected to a headband that stabilized your neck. In those days, the headband had to be literally bolted to your skull. I hope things have improved since then. The drunk teenager went to prison. She got out a couple of years later. I don't even know her name or the woman with the broken neck. The house in those days had a pair of giant hedges, one in front of my brother's bedroom window, one in front of mine. The cops thought that maybe those hedges slowed the car enough that it prevented my brother and I from being killed. The insurance company priced them out at a few hundred bucks a piece, so big and beautiful they had been before the car wrecked them, but for me and my brother, they were probably the best investment my folks ever made. Speaking of the insurance company, our insurance rep did something you'll never hear about now. He gave us everything we deserved. My brother's room was trashed, and he wrote down everything in it. When my mom said, oh, these comics just got a little dust on them, he said, no, they were completely damaged. If we wanted to keep them despite their damaged condition, that was our right, but he insisted his company pay the tab for everything. Every piece of clothing that got dust on it, every toy that got buried under rubble, plus many that didn't, everything got paid for. Can you imagine an insurance company making it that easy today? The house got rebuilt, and my parents almost immediately put it on the market. They had had quite enough of living on a dangerous road. For me, it was a two-minute experience. I didn't even know I was that close to death until it was mostly over, but I got to relive it in my nightmares for weeks after. I couldn't fall asleep without seeing the car come through my bedroom wall. So when my summer camp experience had my life flashing before my eyes, big surprise, I had trouble laughing it off. I couldn't admit it at the time, to myself or anybody else, but these events had reignited my childhood fear of the dark. 
I mean, when you're afraid to fall asleep for fear of a car busting through the wall or a serial killer whacking on your window, you get a few sleepless nights. And in those days, sending your kid to a therapist was tantamount to saying your child was criminally insane and also you had failed his parents, so that wasn't going to happen. Luckily, it was the 80s, and all I had to do was live with the trauma for a few years and just get over it. Which I eventually did because, well, what other choice did I have? How did I work it out? Well, I don't know if this is a factual one-to-one -one correlation, but within a couple of years, I became a horror movie junkie. I found that horror movies took the fear that churned in my guts and blew it out in explosions of gore and violence. Sounds weird, but I'm pretty sure that's how preteen John started being able to put things back in their box. And since it was the height of the 80s splatter glut, I had plenty of movies to desensitize myself with, including movies featuring serial killers like Michael Myers and Freddy Krueger. The Friday the 13th ones were particular favorites for me. You know, bloody summer camp and all. And you know, those horror movies were probably the beginning down the path of me working in movies and TV, which is why I'm walking a picket line during a writer's strike and trading trauma stories with my friends. So the next time some asshole tells you that violent movies are the reason kids nowadays shoot up schools or whatever, just remember the story of the traumatized kid who worked his way back to sanity with the help of scary movies. At the very least, it evens things out. Thank you so much for listening. You can find me at Substack at John Patrick Nelson, or you can write me at the book of John podcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to sign your kids up for this year's church summer camp. I'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.